Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 318 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Today's podcast is brought to you by a new podcast called Leaders in Living Rooms, I'll tell you all about, and also by Red Letter Challenge. My guest is Jenny Allen. And if you don't know Jenny, you're going to be really glad you tuned in. She is the founder and visionary behind If Gathering, a massive organization that equips women with resources, events, community. And I'll tell you, it's a really interesting model. If you're looking to engage your audience, like listen in. She's a sought-after speaker. She has taught at major conferences across America, around the world. She's the author of several books, has a master's degree from Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, well, I'm really glad to have her on the show today. And uh, we have a lot of new listeners. So I just want to say welcome. Really, really glad you guys are here. We have had a massive January on this podcast. So if you're new or just tuning in for the first time, welcome. Really glad you're here. Uh, What we try to do on this show is bring you behind the scenes leadership discussions that you would want to have if you got to sit down with some of the incredible guests we have the privilege of talking to. And uh, I always, you know, for years enjoyed green room conversations and just got frustrated enough one day that I'm like, I need to bring these to everybody. And that's what we've been doing for a few years. So 318 episodes into it, really glad that you've joined us. And if this show is meaningful to you, uh, let us know what else you might want to hear in the comments and then share it with a friend too. Uh, we're always watching on social f- and trying to interact with you. I'm Carrie Newhoff on Instagram, just my full name, C. Newhoff on Twitter and Facebook. So I'd love to connect with you there. Also on LinkedIn. So uh, if that's your favorite platform, which it might be, uh, hang out with us there as well. Well, uh, January for me is a month of podcasts. I love listening to podcasts. And uh, one that I've added to my personal repertoire is a new one called Leaders in Living Room. And that's because I've gotten to know Sean Morgan over the last couple of years. Sean, I always joke with him. I think he is the most connected, least well-known leader in America. He's, he knows everybody. He knows absolutely everybody. And like most people have no idea who he is. He's a fascinating guy. Uh, I remember the first conversation I had with him. Uh, it was like, uh, so where are you, Sean? And he's like, oh, I'm just, uh, you know, flying a fighter jet over Afghanistan. I'm like, he goes, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing compared to that. Uh, but he's hyper connected and hyper passionate about leadership transitions, which is a major issue in business. It's a huge issue in the church. And uh, he knows a lot of founders like me and then spends a lot of time with their successors. On Leaders in Living Rooms, he has backstage conversations, living room style conversations with Judd Wilhite, Brady Boyd, Aaron Brockett, David Kinneman, Kenton Bishore, and uh, he even interviewed me. It's a new podcast you can get, of course, for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or you can go to cdfcapital.org slash leaders in living rooms. You can go there too. And of course, we'll link to everything in the show notes. But if you're looking for a new podcast to connect with, add leaders in living rooms to your list. Now, Easter, believe it or not, is here before you know it. And if you're like me, you've got a lot of message grind going on right now. You just had your big New Year series. And uh, if you work at a church, you know what a challenge content can be. Well, what if you could do something that 
incredibly engages your church and is done for you. A growing number of churches are adopting the Red Letter Challenge. It's a 40-day turnkey church campaign that will give your church really incredible results and ultimately help produce more effective disciples. It focuses on the red letters, the teachings of Jesus. Uh, Red Letter Challenge has worked with more than 300 churches, more than 75,000 individuals with professional small group videos, study guides, sermon manuscripts and videos, graphics, even a kid's curriculum now. In the fall of 2019, 100% of the churches that used Red Letter Challenge grew their small groups, and they had a 100% recommendation rate from pastors who had used the program. So also, Easter is one of the most strategic times to do Red Letter Challenge, so you can do it leading into Easter or coming out of Easter. And if you implement it, it really is turnkey, and so it will help you with message prep and all those things. So you can go to redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry for packages ready for whatever size church you lead. And depending on what you get, you'll get between 10 to 40% off. You can start with as few as 10 copies, and they can customize it and scale it with however large your church is. So they'd be happy to help you. Go to redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry. Well, so excited to bring you this conversation. We go all over the place and I'm really interested. This has come up a couple of times with Liz Fork and Bohannon and now with Jenny Allen in the last month, uh, but engaging the audience to be really marketers and evangelists in your favor. They, women do this really, really well in leadership and I am taking notes. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Jenny Allen. Jenny, welcome to the podcast. It's just great to have you. Thanks for having me, Gary. Yeah. So um, you say you never expected to be doing what you're doing. I mean, you're a podcaster, author, speaker, the person behind this massive thing called the If Gathering, a quarter million people, mostly women around the world. Do you mind telling us a little bit about the journey <laughs> on, on how you got there? Yeah, that all still feels pretend. Um, uh-huh. It is one, it is a giant, all of this, right, is a giant group project. I mean, there are so many people that have been part of each of these things that have made it come to fruition. And I love that. That's probably my favorite part of my job is that I do get to work with such incredible leaders in each space and, and to get to build content for people who are wanting to follow God, maybe for the first time or who have been following him for a long time. That is, you know, helping people love God. That is really what I wanted to do with my life ever since I met him. And I didn't know that that could be done in a big way. I mean, the internet, when I met Jesus, the internet wasn't a thing. So there was no aspiration originally in this. I just knew I felt called to ministry. I knew I felt very called to discipleship, uh, life on life discipleship. And so what that became over time was truly a fruit of that work in a local context. I'm such a fan of the local church. I am such a fan on life of of life on life discipleship. I l- use every platform I have to trumpet both because I believe that is where life change happens in small groups of people, eye to eye, you know. And so all of it started for me it, with the people that I was mentoring and discipling and investing my life in, and and it grew, you know. And and as as it grew, I, I saw these as helpful tools to help other people that are making disciples and that are in their places and building with their people, and so. It really was never complicated and it never, it certainly was never um, <laughs> this this big vision. And I never have cared about the means. Podcasting wasn't a thing, you know, 10 years ago. And 
And so I I never would have dreamed that I would be on people's walks and on their drives and hanging out with them the way that we get to do with this medium. But I knew I just wanted to help people love God. And so all of these vehicles to me are, are not even that flashy. I just, I see them as Paul's words of saying, by whatever means possible so that some may love Christ. Like that is what I get to do. And it's so fun. The mediums we have at our disposal in this generation are crazy and they've worked, you know, we have, we have reached the world and, and I know that's an act of God and it's, a, it's a unique moment in history where we can talk in a microphone in our closets and our living rooms and our, um, you know, right now I'm a little bitty tucked away office. I, we can, we can do that and it reached the world. It's, it's just, it's mind blowing, but I still don't feel like I'm doing anything that differently than I was when it was a living room full of people. I really don't. Hmm. Yeah. And yet, you know, th- this is one of the things we've had uh, previous guests, some of your friends, Annie F. Downs and Voskamp, Lisa Turkers, just to name a few who are in similar space to what you are. And I'm trying to be a student and to learn and to grow from some of the amazing women leaders we have in this space. But one of the things that's uh, common for all of you is guys often talk about the size of their tribe or whatever, and we kind of trot it out. But like you guys just have these massive followings that are unbelievable. And that takes tremendous leadership to learn how to scale and to uh, build that and even respond to it. Because if you don't lead well, you know, the audience doesn't stick around, right? We're all the own, our, our own caps on our own growth. So what have been some of the challenges that have happened as this whole thing has kind of exploded the way it has, Jenny? I think just not losing the heart of what got me into this. I remember the first time I spoke to tens of thousands of people, it was at Women of Faith and it was back, you know, in some of their final years. And and there were 11,000 people. I remember... Um, I stood at the end of one of my last times of speaking there and I looked out and I thought to myself, okay, if this is all it ever is, like this might be the the pinnacle of, of people that I speak to, right? Am I okay? And I was like, I am okay. Like I am not wow. thinking about the numbers. I am always thinking about the mama on the front row that got a babysitter for two days because her marriage is falling apart, because she has no hope, because she's going to show up at this conference with just a shred of hope, like she's clinging to some remnant of hope that maybe God has something for her, that maybe God still sees her, that maybe there is a way to restoration out of anxiety, out of her paralyzing fears, out of her, um, you know, difficult marriage into something that's healthy and thriving, like maybe, maybe, maybe. And I always have just seen that girl. I've seen her and I see her when I post. I see her when I record a podcast. I see someone looking back at me that says, tell me that there's true hope, not some Christianese version, not some like little talk you prepared because you had a speaking engagement. Tell me this is real. Tell me my God is real. Tell me that my problems, he sees them, that he loves me, that he, he he's in it with me. And I, I feel an urgency over my life and everything that I've been given to do to fight for people, to just fight for them, to have faith, to fight for them. And I don't know how many people it is, you know, I mean, that's the cool thing about podcasting. You can see downloads, but you don't know like how many people are out there, but I know that girl's out there. Like I know there is somebody that was like me as a young mom with a marriage falling apart with young kids that depended on me for every meal and every breath and 
every, you know, diaper change. Like I, I know that girl <laughs> mm. and, and I know what it feels like to, to struggle with anxiety. I know what it feels like to be hopeless in a hard marriage. I know what it feels like to, um, to feel like you have no purpose because all you can do is like get up and change diapers and make sure everybody eats. Like I know that. And so I think that's like the gift God's given me is just this laser focus on the one rather than the many. Hmm. How, how do you keep that kind of focus? Well, all the things I always preach, which is real life discipleship in my own life. I mean, this morning I led a devotional with, with, you know, 15 girls in my office that I care about deeply that I'm making sure are spiritually on track and growing. Um, I've got my kids. I, I mean, there's a lot of grounding material in my life. There's really uh, very little time to ever sit back and say, look at me like, wow, this really did well. Like I never have time because there's, you know, my, my best friend several years ago had a massive stroke. And when you're, you know, I remember I was going to catalyst to speak at like a huge event and, and the night before she had just come back home from rehab and she's in a wheelchair still. And like, she's, we're trying to unpack her pantry in a new house and she's going through divorce and, and people ask like, how have you not gotten an ego? And I'm like, well, because everything that is public is tied to something private that is grounding and real. And it's not, this isn't a show to me. I'm not in this for the money. I'm not in it for the fans. I'm in it for the glory of God because people are dying and, and they need hope and they need help. And, and I think that it, I, I don't know, I think God's gifted me with enough difficulty in all of the, the good that the good doesn't feel as flashy as it, as it would without it. Right. Like I probably mm. would have been like, I'm going to catalyst tomorrow. What am I wearing? You know, but instead I'm like helping my friend in her wheelchair, like unload her pantry. And I just, I think, you know, I, I can never thank God for someone else's suffering, but I'm thankful I got to be close to it. Right. Like I'm thankful that, um, that he let me in to, um, some of the darkest parts of people's lives so that, you know, I could love them and be with them in that. And I think that's my real life. That's not, um, everything else. It's like, well, the big, biggest hope and goal I would have for all of it is that it would be, it would cause genuine fruit that goes on forever. Right. Like I, I mean, all these numbers, I mean, it seems like social media channels change every day. Like there's, yeah. there's nothing, um, there, it, it all feels like chasing the wind. If you really uh, love it and the, um, you know, the notoriety of it and the money of it, it, it feels to me like chasing wind. I'm ne I'm very rarely sucked in. Cause I'm like, I feel empty. Like if I, mm. it's not that I've never been sucked in, but when I do get sucked in and I start to chase it, it, it feels empty almost immediately. You know, it just, it doesn't feel satisfying. It doesn't feel like a meal. It feels like, it feels like wind, you know, like, like yeah. Solomon wrote. And so, so I think that I love that. I love that God like viscerally helps me feel the reward of real life ministry. And hopefully what, what you see publicly and all those things that I guess sound a little bit cool or impressive is that, that those things would literally be fueled and fed by real life people and real life ministry that's happening in the context of my local church and my real life. I don't, I want to do well there. You know, like if everything online does great, I don't think that's going to be what I get to heaven and I'm rejoicing about. And I think I'll be rejoicing about the disciples I made while they were babysitting for me and we were folding laundry together. You know, I just, I really feel like that is the real stuff. And anytime I'm doing the other stuff, I'm always checking myself. It's, is this an overflow or am I just trying to feed a machine?
Mm. This is so helpful. If you don't mind, I want to I want to drill in a little bit more on that because I've seen this, you know, certainly with pastors, particularly as things take off, whether they take off online or in person, but I've seen it in uh, CEOs and senior leaders as well. The best ones when you meet them or look at the case studies that say a Jim Collins or somebody would do or Pat Lencioni, um you know, Frank Blake comes to mind. He spent an awful lot of time turning around Home Depot, actually walking through stores and talking to customers. And so often, you know, the, you know, because you lead a complicated organization that reaches millions of people, it would be very easy to just be insulated in some mythical C-suite and never really meet people and have your calendar so micromanaged that it's been five years since you helped somebody fold laundry like, how, right. how do you, like, that's why I think this is really helpful, Jenny. I want to know how you have avoided that and how, you know, yet, yet you continue to scale. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that is, that is a rare quality among leaders. And honestly, there's a lot of people listening who lead a lot less than you do, who would rather be in the C-suite, um, insulated from all that. So, and I feel those tendencies in me too. So I'm just kind of curious how you do that. I look back and I think, what means something to me personally? I mean, okay, let's take the selfish. I mean, what you're saying is like, yeah, yeah we're all tempted by this, right? Like that's a mm-hmm. fast fix. When you look at Instagram and your, your post got, you know, 8,000 likes that that's a quick fix of like approval and all the things we all crave, right? That, that's okay. That's how God built us. We, we d- deeply desire each other's connection and approval, but but it's a very shallow representation of what we're actually craving. And I know this is true. And I tell myself this all the time. I mean, so much of this is just reminding myself of the truth, sitting in the truth of God's word, believing the power of what God is saying, which is do life with a small group of people in submission. That's a big word for me. Submission to my elders, submission to a few core people that have a lot in submission to my husband. And you know, that that'll probably get tons of feedback. You'll get some emails. Sorry, but <laughs> it's worked for me and it's worked for me in this way. It's not abusive for me to do that. Those, those people right. are for the kingdom of God and they're for me. So it's a safe place. You know, it's not a, it's not a day. It's some, for some people, it's a very dangerous place. And I, I don't think that that is not what I'm talking about, but there's been protection that if I did get a big head, I have at least 10 people that would tell me, within 24 hours. Like I have not surrounded my myself with yes people. I have surrounded myself with, I mean, sometimes they're just flat mean. Like I, uh-huh. but I love it because, because there's a submission and a accountability and a check, but let's go back to the selfish nature of all of us, right? Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's nobody's unique. I'm not above anybody else. Like I, of course I want, I want some, something is in it for me. What is in it for me is I've found God's way to be the best ways. And God's mm. way is this local Life on life, leaning into suffering, not being afraid of it, um, connecting with people over meals, serving people in a real authentic way. Those are my favorite parts. I, I, We were built for it. And as we go after the other stuff, it just falls flat over yeah. time. And you see it's in the burnout rates of authors and speakers and all that. It, there is a burnout rate to anything to me doesn't have the backbone of what God meant it to be, which is, which is accountability mutual submission, right? Like I I also, so I'm accountable to them. They're accountable to me. I've got people counting on me in real life. Um, all of the grit of my life, I think is this, um, it's from God 
it's the best part, even though it's not always the, the fancy part. And it actually over time has proven the most satisfying. Now, there were times in my ministry, and I would say I got really close to burnout a few years ago, and there's several reasons for it. But one of them was I was not doing enough life on life. And it mm. it started, I just started to lose my compass. I started to question God. I started to wonder what I was doing. It just felt like I was losing my soul. And I've seen this in several of my friends, some of the ones you just named, where they are, I mean, Annie, like majorly committed to the people she disciples in her local church and same way, Lisa, same way. I mean, she basically like, you know, travels with her pastor a lot. Like there's a lot of us that are like, we, we lose that. We're, we don't have anything in ourselves. I'm not sitting here thinking people are listening to this because I am special or fancy. I think people are Mm. listening to this because they know I love God and believe God. And I'm trying to give them God. Like I, I don't, I don't, I'm not confused about what people are coming to me for. They're not coming to me because I'm extra smart. They're not coming to me because I have a corner market on some knowledge that nobody else has. They are coming to me because they want to see somebody that actually believes God is true and God is real. And, and they can, they can go, okay, okay. She believes it. I do this with Tim Keller. I do this with my people, right? Like I put Tim Keller on. Why? What? Because he's a good preacher. Yes. He's an incredible communicator. Although his voice never changes. It's really incredible. But (laughs) but I put him on because he's like, okay, he's saying this is true. Okay. It's true. Like it, it reaffirms something in me. And I I think knowing my place and what I'm called to do, it helps me be really sober about why people are coming to me. They're not fans. They want hope. I'm never confused when somebody comes up to me in the mall. My kid, my kids have said this to me because people will come up to me and, you know, in public. And, and my, my daughter said one time, she goes, mom, I'm so glad you, you preach Jesus and teach the Bible. And you're not like a rock star or it would bug me. And I was like, what do you mean? I said, I said, how does that make it different? She goes, well, when they come up to you, they don't talk about you. They talk about what God's done in their lives. And it makes me cry because I like, that's Mm. it. Like, let that be true of us, that they don't talk about us, that they don't, that what they want to tell us when they see us is what God did in their lives. Not how great a writer I am or how great a speaker I am. I don't care. I'm like, I just don't care whatever means possible so that some may find Christ. Like that's. That is, that is it. And yeah, I'm consumed. And I think God did that. I don't, I don't know. I just, I'm grateful. And, and it feels clear to me. It doesn't feel confusing. It feels like I know why he's given me this. I know what to do with it. And I hope that I never lose that. I hope that when I die, I feel this fixated and clear as I am today, you know? Yeah, this is such a a refreshing conversation, Jenny. So one of the challenges that just the age we're in, and I'm not, I don't want to go to a particular case. Uh, Unfortunately, there are many of them, but of, you know, people who lead large ministries or large organizations falling. And this happens in the church. It happens outside the church. It happens in sports. It happens in business. But you've, you've hit on a couple of, I think, really important things that you're like, you know, I can, I can see how this happens. Do you have any thoughts? And again, nothing specific, but like, what are some of the warning signs in your own life that you can sort of see in some of those other stories and go, huh, I wonder if this is what happened. Oh gosh. All those stories are, are way too close to home. Are you kidding? Yeah. Exhaustion. I mean, none of that, all that sin, we're all, we are all have a proclivity to all of it, right? We are just, yeah. we are all like one decision away from jail. You know, like this is, <laughs> this is all of our reality. I mean, if we're, if we're not in touch with that, then you have a different problem called pride. And, 
but I'm very in touch with like, I could, I could literally, you know, have a glass of wine, drive home and accidentally have a wreck and end up in jail. Like that, that is all of our realities. We're always a decision away. And so, um, I think what, and I say that specific story because I've done a lot of prison ministry and I met a girl that was 10 years younger than me that was in for 17 years for doing exactly that. She, she just had a little too much alcohol and she drove home and killed two people. And, and so I I give that story specifically because I walked out and I was like, that could be like, I've looked in people's eyes in prison. I'm like, I could, this could be me. So, um, so we all are one decision away from that. So the big sins and the big falls and the big prides and the big mistakes don't surprise me ever. That never surprises me. Um, and, and what I always do when I, when I see something like that happen is I thank God that there is redemption. There's redemption for him. And for any way I'm like, him, you know, he or she, there's redemption for me. And so we are, we are all safe, even if our whole life falls apart. Even if you know, sometimes the story reads, Jenny Allen is in prison. I am okay because my God is, I, my salvation is secure and my heaven is secure. And and I can freaking do prison ministry, you know, like we'll figure yeah. it out. So, um, <laughs> so I'm like, I, I just, I, I don't, I think sometimes we make too much of people's public sin because we've made mm. too much of them as a public figure to begin with. Right. Oh, so, that's good. So let's, let's like be, you know, realistic about it. Like, yeah, that's a disappointment. Um, Donald Miller one time said to me, um, I was interviewing him for something and he said, you know, Jenny, he said, when you all public ministry is, is the tightrope got higher. You were always on a tightrope, but now if you fall, there's just more on the line. It's not any different than, than a dad falling, you know, in his home that has, you know, a small company. It's, it's, it's still tragic. It's just the number of people that are impacted are more. So let's be realistic that these men and women that have fallen for whatever reason, um, they're, they're just like us. Um, however, I will say the things that that I feel guarded and protective about go back to things like conf- confession, submission, local church accountability, being very known, not living into my power, but laying down my power and continually choosing the more costly, honest way. And thankfully when I've done that, I find myself a happier person anyway. So again, selfishly it works for me to to confess because I love the forgiveness I receive after that so selfishly it works for me to live in submission because I love the protection I receive in that selfishly I loved live known because I love friends at a table that actually know me not the pretend Jenny Allen online but me you know yeah I hear what you're saying and so a lot of that is if you don't insulate yourself if you're actually in life with people who know you well and you know them well uh, it's just it's a it's a very different thing. Okay. So you also though have, you know, now lead this fairly large, fairly influential organization. So when you put the Jenny Allen leadership hat on, what have been some of the the structural challenges, the personal challenges of, oh, this isn't just me behind a keyboard all by myself anymore, wondering if anybody'll read it, or me behind a microphone. There all these people showed up. What have been some keys to navigating that journey? Because that also, I mean, I think that's what almost took me under in my 30s. It was just fast growing and my answer was more hours and that was a bad answer. So 
How, how yeah. have you, how have you handled that as you know, with your leadership hat on? Yeah, I, I never, um, like I, I think you started with, I never really saw myself here when I started out. And so yeah. I certainly didn't see myself as an organizational leader. I, I had vision. I loved God. I wanted to help people do that, but the means were really kind of up in the air for me. And as if gathering took shape and I realized it was going to reach pretty far, which we didn't realize till it was reaching far. We were hmm. literally building the plane in the air. Um, had a whole host of awesome people helping me do that. Um, but, but that recognition of, oh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to learn to lead in front of everyone was probably, and I'll cry again talking about this. Um, mm. it probably was the hardest to like lay down my ego and just fail in front of everyone. I remember, um, I remember just wanting so badly to, be able to even have the capacity to pretend that I was cut out to do this. I, it wasn't in my, I couldn't, it was too big, too fast. And I was too young and too inexperienced. And I had to just be weak in front of people. And I think the greatest gift I learned in leadership was to, um, to be weak and to embrace that weakness and rather than fight it to, to own it and to not hide it and to speak of it and, we announced if gathering and we said we want to reach a generation and it was a big vision. And then we charged $250 for a ticket. Mm. And I was like, you want to reach a generation and, and nobody can afford to go. And so I like, there's a video of me out there probably still on the internet of me saying, you guys, we're going to strip the cost of the ticket and we're going to, we're just going to back this thing up and we're going to do pay what you can and trust God to provide. We had no donors behind us. We had one family member that had written a, a check that covered a portion of someone's one person's salary. So we had no fallback. The event would cost um, $400,000 when it was all said and done to live stream to the world. And we had nobody underwriting that and we never charged a dime. And so moments like that, you just, it's a wing and a prayer and you do it trembling and you do, you do, everybody says, how do you know if you, you're hearing from God? And I'm like, when it happens, like you don't know till it's <laughs> the other side. Like you, you, you think you are, I thought I was, but but it also was crazy and wise counselors in my life were saying, you can't do this financially. You're like, you can't do this. You're going to owe people money. You just can't do it. And, but I, I felt like God was giving me the pattern for us to follow. And, and so this has never been a strategic genius of a group of people. This has been God saying, go left, go right, back up, say, you're sorry, do it again. Like it mm. is just, it is literally just been like, and next do this and next do this. And I think when I look back at like why, you know, like all leaders like Moses and all the crummy leaders, you know, we all say like, why me? Why? The only answer I could ever give to that. The only like I have favor. He knew I loved him so much. I just do what he said. And, hmm. and I think, you know, I hope that's still true of me. If there's one leadership principle now that I, I try to follow is to not let um, institution Trump, the voice of God. And that takes an entire team living that way. Because even just a few weeks ago, we led an event for our leaders and I, it was so beautiful and God moved. There was confession. It was so powerful for, for leaders to get a safe space to just decompress and so powerful. God was present. And, and I wake up at 5am after it's over and I'm laying in my bed and I was like, you know what? We're meeting in the wrong venue for big if, which is you know, thousands and thousands of people, their biggest revenue generator, like, 
And I'm sitting there thinking, we need to strip it down and put it in a church and not go to our fancy venue. And we just, we need to simplify the thing. And I, I tell my team, I was like, I need to talk to you this morning. And I know like, oh, they've already made plans. They've already booked hotels. They've already, like, this is all in motion. It's months away. And so I pull them together and I praise God for Amy Bay and Brooke Mazzarello and Jordan Perry and all these people that have been with me from the beginning. And I said, I just think God wants us to do this. And I don't know. I never say I know. I always say I think because I I don't know, but I think. And I said it before them and they were like, well, then let's do it. And they we've changed our venue. We had to, I mean, it was such a disaster. Like it was so much work for people. But it is it has produced peace in everyone. It is the right movement. When we announced it, people were just so grateful because they're hosting in their places. If gathering the way it's so big is that le- leaders are hosting in thousands of locations all over the earth at the same time. And so all these leaders felt this huge sigh of relief of like, I don't have to get fancier or better. And I just, I love God because he just keeps kind of saying, Hey, you know, let's do this differently. And I would love it if it was my brilliance and like, you know, but it's not, it literally is not. It is just God being kind enough to kind of redirect and show us the next step. But I think right now that the goal and the passion of my heart is just not, you know, we are big and we are staff now of, I don't know, almost 20 people. And so it's, it's not easy to turn the ship, but I, but I feel called to no matter what, keeping that same heart as we grow, that we'll never, we'll never be known for how excellent and awesome we are, but we will always be known that we follow Jesus and we make him known. So two questions, what happened to that first event when you went pay as you go? How did that turn out? We raised, I believe it was a few hundred dollars over what we needed. Wow. Like just right there. Right. Amazing. There. And that's about how it's gone ever since, honestly. <laughs> I, wish, <laughs> I wish it was like, and now we are massively in the black. And I, we, we, we just, yeah, I mean, we're just trying to get to the place where, you know, our, our uh, resources equal our vision, but, but it is you know, God has provided and we've, we've paid our bills and our people. So. Okay. And I got to ask you this next question and I hope you hear the heart behind it. I've asked other guests this before. And, uh, you know, you hear about people who say, Oh, I've heard from God. And uh, sometimes that doesn't end well. Um, but when you hear from God, how do you sense it's God? And, (laughs) and like, how do how do you sort that out? That's a question I always have in my own life as well. Well, I mean, honestly, what's the difference in an idea that I generated and an idea that God generated? One of them, I think, is smarter than the other, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, and but so, how do you know it's not you? Things. How do you know it's not well, just I the don't. pizza? I okay. don't. When I sit before my team and I say, I think this is from God, they yeah. know I mean that. They know I'm yeah. not sitting there going, I know this is from God. It's, it's you know what? It's 5 a.m. I am exhausted. I just led over a thousand liters for three days, you know, two days. I'm waking up at five o'clock and wanting to change a venue. That doesn't make sense. There's nothing about the world that would say, you know what, dial it back and simplify it. Like, don't, don't do the led screens. Don't be fancier. Like dial it. Like that's not from me. I am the girl that's like impress them. Like I watch, you know, every year and I love Shelly and Louie and they're ministering to a different group of people, college students. You need to impress Mm -hmm. them. Like keep their attention. You have to impress them. And so what they do and how they do it is the most brilliant thing. And I watch it every year. Sometimes I get to go and sometimes I'm watching it from my computer. But I remember one year watching it and seeing the astronaut live 
stream in to the conference. And then they had a drone cross. And I mean, of course, every college student, they can't talk about anything else. It's perfect for them. Like, I want to be so yeah. clear. I love what Shelly and Louie do. They're great friends. And they're following God and doing what God's telling them to do. But that's always three weeks before my event. And every time <laughs> I call my team and I'm like, do we need to up our game a little? Like we, you know, it's just, and I think, you know what, God, no, God's like led me with a, with a still quiet voice. And, and no, it is not a, um, a booming voice. It is just a sense that this is where we need to go. And it doesn't usually make sense to my flesh. And it doesn't usually make sense to the world. And I think that's often how he likes to work because then he gets all the glory. Nobody's listening to me right now. And was like, wow, you know, this girl, like, obviously she built this organization. Everybody's listening to this and they're thinking to themselves, do I listen to God like that? Is that, do I follow God like that? Does God really lead like that? Because that's who's led it. Like, it's not, I'm not like, I mean, I, I'm sitting here asking myself, Carrie, is this too spiritual? Like, do you want me to just tell you like how we built our email no. list? But even, even that I'm like, we didn't have marketers. Like we were a bunch of people like trying to follow God. I, I don't have another story. So, um, but I do think what's cool is like, he really, so yes, does it, is it a voice? No. Is it a, is it a prompting of something that doesn't totally make sense? And I, I now I've learned to kind of roll my eyes and be like, well, crud, like that's probably from God and we probably need to do it. And it doesn't usually sit with me as like, I can't wait to do this thing. It's usually like pay what you can and we're not going to hit our numbers and we're going to be bankrupt. And I'm personally liable because we're not an organization yet. And my credit's on the, you know, right, right. my credit is on the, that's how we founded the organization. So, so it usually feels a little bit like, oh crap. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I've, like following God for me has been a little bit like, are you serious? And I loved the, the, the I felt, I feel like the year if gathering launched the the song oceans came out which is yeah. you know so old now but but i think it was the same year because i remember hearing it for the first time and going oh my gosh they wrote a song about my life and it's that i'm out where feet may fail i, I mm. the waves are everywhere and i'm walking on water and where feet may fail and i just that's what i have felt the whole journey is just my like this decision i it could it could take us it could shrink us you know it could, we could never get off the ground, whatever. Every moment, it's just been moments like that. It, and I really appreciate it. And I, I love the honest answer and I love the transparency. If um, thinking about that a little bit deeper, uh, you know, there is probably a little bit of strategy in the mix. Where, yeah. how, do, how do you navigate that then? Because, strategy. yeah. Yeah. The strategy has always been clear to me. Women were craving more. And they were, the church was underutilizing them. And so we stepped on the scene when there was great hunger among women to do something for the kingdom. And we gave them the vision. We put it in their hands and we said, you go do it. And we're here to help you. And we'll put tools in your hands. That's all we've ever been. That's the strategy. That's why it's grown. Oh, yeah. It's not marketing. It's all these women out there that said, yes, I want to be a part of something. I need a sisterhood to be a part of. I need a mission to live. And I want to do it in a way that matters for eternity. And so I'm, very clear. So we'll do like, like uh, coaching for our team and we'll bring in, you know, advisors and all that, but everything ultimately comes back to those leaders on the ground. We call them if local leaders and they are in the trenches, in their local churches, in their neighborhoods, on college campuses. They're, they're the ones that are sitting out there going, I want to make a difference. And we've just, we've told them, we put tools in their hands and said, this is how you can do it. 
There is so much in what you just said, and I want to be sensitive to the variety of <laughs> people listening. And yet I think one of the common stories we're seeing in the massive rise of women's platforms these days is exactly what you hinted at. There wasn't a lot for them to do in the local church, and you can take that however you want. And, uh, and so we empowered them to do what they were called to do. How do you empower that many women? What are, what are some differences? Because that's something I see in the names that we already mentioned, you know, Annie or Ann or Lisa, yourself. Uh, I see an awful lot of empowerment and an awful lot of ownership in the tribe, for lack of a better word. And I'm not, you know, I don't want to make gender differences. The, the subject of this, I don't think as a male leaders are that good at that. That, that, that is something, that is some secret sauce that mm. a bunch of you have tapped into that I think we should just open up our notepads and just see what's happening over there. So what are some keys to empowering women? I love that you started the episode by saying some of your friends and you knew we were really friends, you know, Annie yeah. and Lisa, they are not like public figures to me. Like I know their kids are, you know, Annie doesn't have kids yet, but I talked to Annie this morning on the phone. Like these are my friends. And so, and yeah. Anne has um, been with me from the beginning of if gathering Lisa has been an advisor, had me in her office multiple times. Um, we, I just saw her two weeks ago. Like these are my real friends. And, and I say that not to brag, that sounds really braggy um, because they're awesome. But I say that because it is genuinely relational. Like we are innately and genuinely relational people. I have two sisters. I was born into a family, you know, I was the oldest, but quickly I had two sisters those sisters have defined the way I do ministry in life. We are sharp with each other. We are, you know, critical of each other. We are for each other. We are in each other's business. We are in each other's lives. We don't, you know, there's no pretending. There's no, there's no like placating each other. Like it is, it is as real a relationship as you could possibly imagine on earth between sisters. There's no, there's no other goal. You absolutely know you would die for each other. You absolutely know nobody will be at your door faster. And I think that that idea of sisterhood is so in us, in most women, not all women. I've definitely met women that are like, ah, I want more of that, but I, I wasn't raised that way. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of us, I think that'd probably be a common theme among those of us that have ministered to a lot of women that we really see each other as sisters. Um, my team, when I'm with my, my, um, executive director that runs if gathering, you know, the day in and the day out of if gathering, I was with her last night, we were catching up and, um, and getting dinner. And, and when I'm with her, I, I feel the same affection I feel for my biological sisters because mm -hmm. she is my trench friend. We know each other in and out. She has done life with me for many years. I've never pretended with her. She's always seen the real side of things. You know, she's heard me cuss. She's heard me. She's heard me in my sin. She has seen me in my sweetest moments of obedience. There is a sisterhood mentality among us that is so genuine that it just people. We don't have to work hard at convincing people we care about them. They're watching us care about each other. Mm. They're watching us um, care for them. And and it's not it's not some show for us. It's like everything else is just an overflow. It's not if gathering is literally an overflow of friendship that we're already in place that and almost every person that's ever been on the stage, I can call a friend in some way. So hmm. uh, there there's a there's a authenticity what, to what's happening, not because we're crafting authenticity, but because we actually <laughs> are there. It's actually authentic. Like it's actually. Uh, well, I hear yeah. what you're saying. 
we're backstage crying and praying and hugging and dealing with life issues. And, um, and so I think, I think that's what would be unique to women is just different, but with guys, but I, I do think there's a little bit more of a singular mindset or like, I am the leader. I am the pastor. I, I don't feel that way with if I'm like, there's a lot of us, you know, there's a sisterhood. Brooke Mazzarella is leading the ship right now. Incredibly. Um, but I just, yeah, it doesn't, I don't have like an ego about being on mission with a big group of people serving God together. It feels right to me. That's how I feel like it's supposed to be. I, I'm not even thinking about guys. I'm just telling you what's on my heart. Like I'm not, yeah, I hear, I hear what you're saying. I don't know men. Like, I don't know if that's different. I don't know. Mm. Oh yeah. It's a little bit different, but this is refreshing. And I've enjoyed the conversations I've had with the three of the people I've already talked about, with yourself. And uh, I think there's an awful lot to be learned there in leadership in general. And I think it's actually a healthier way to lead. I think it's just, you know, whether that's three people or three million, I think that's a healthier way to lead. Let me give you a great example of like something that really worked that I have seen fail miserably in other settings. Um, We... We started a racial reconciliation group with Latasha Morrison, who was a good friend of mine in Austin, Texas. She didn't lead a racial reconciliation ministry. In fact, somebody else started the group. We all came together. And in the midst of that, and we didn't even know what we were doing. Racial reconciliation was on nobody's tongue. Ferguson had not happened. It's precursor to all of the big public things that have gone on in the news in the last several years. And yet Ferguson happened in the midst of us meeting together. And And so after Ferguson happened, of course, other events happened right after that, if gathering fell within a few months of that. And so I thought, well, why don't we do what we've been doing in private in front of everybody? And so we all got up there and I told Latasha, I was like, this is going to be a lot of people that watch. When I say this, I'm I'm just saying it publicly. I I didn't know of conversations like this happening with, we had um, Asian Americans, Latinas, um, African Americans, and, and Caucasian Americans all in the same place. And, and so what, what we were able to do on the stage was just an outflow of like what was happening in our real life. And I think um, what everybody sniffs out and what I think is, is hard for people is when they feel like you're doing something on a stage that you aren't doing in real life. Mm. And, and I mean, that's limited what we can cover and address at if gathering because we can't cover and address every injustice and everything in real life that we put, you know, so, so there's a lot of things we don't address. Um, but, but I know God had brought us to a place on that day where we had a sisterhood that was safe enough to have a conversation in front of everybody. Latasha led it. And from that group started all over the U S and now, I mean, she's got thousands of bridge building groups that are happening, um, across the world. Why did that work? It worked because she had lived it out in her real life first. And, and when she stood up and spoke about it, it was something so personal, not just because she lived, um, as an African-American woman in the context of America today. Yes, that was essential, but also because she had worked through reconciliation in a private way through very hard circumstances when Ferguson comes up for the first time. And, and I think it just, it's, it rang as authentic because again, it was. One of the things I really appreciate about your writing, you've got a new book, Get Out of Your Head, but I've seen it in some of the other writings as well of, uh, you know, Annie and Ann and Lisa is you're very real like very real, very present tense, very honest, very in the struggle. 
that comes naturally to you. Can you talk about why that style of writing resonates the way it does? I'm always surprised it does. I remember the first time I was actually a Bible study writer first and Mm. I had written multiple Bible studies and people were getting saved. And my husband was like, why don't you go to a writer's retreat and just see if God wants to use us like further than just, you know, we're, we were self printing for other churches. And he was like, just, just go see if publishers would be interested. Well, they were. And, and they also were like, could you write a book? And I was like, I'm a Bible study girl. Like, I don't know if I can write a book. And I remember I was like, well, I'll try. And so I literally Mm. kept, I kept to the advance because I was like, I don't know if I can write a book. And again, it was just a medium to me. It was like, what are the mediums and how do I give away God? So I sat down and I sent her the first few chapters and it was anything, my first book. And I remember sending them and I was so embarrassed because I was like, if she says this is a book, this is too easy because this is Mm. just my journal. Like this is just, (laughs) this is just what I'm learning and how God's changing me and the war between who I want to be and, and who I am and, and, how good he is and how worth it. You know, it was just, it was just my journal and not written to people, not to myself. And so I sent it in and she wrote me back and she, she didn't make one edit. She was like, keep going. Wow. And I was like, this is a book. This is what it is. And so I don't have another, like I haven't studied every way to write a book or gone to like writers conferences. Other than that one I went to, I haven't figured out like a method of writing. I just, I fight for people. If I'm speaking, I fight for people. If I'm writing, I fight for people. If I'm, you know, leading and vision casting, I mean, it's just, to me, it's just another means to fight for people. But yes, it is probably pretty raw. I'm sure sometimes my family's been like, Jenny, you know, some things need to stay in the, (laughs) (laughs) it's just, it is, it's all out there. But, but I just, you know, here's what I do is I think about, I think about heaven and I'm like, I want to leave it all in the field. You know, like I really, and if, if my weakness, which he says over and over again throughout scripture, right? He says, boast in your weakness because then God gets the glory. So, so if my weakness helps people, which I think it does more than my strength, then why would I not put it out there? And two, I remember my husband, when I first was being pursued by these publishers before I signed, I remember I showed up at a fancy dinner and they were paying for it. And they said, tomorrow we've got 20 people coming. And I had no platform, which was unusual at the time. Um, I don't know why. I mean, you'd have to ask them why they did this for me, but um, they brought in 20 people from every department of their, and I called my husband. I said, honey, I think they, they think I'm something I'm not like, I'm very uncomfortable with tomorrow. I don't know what to do. And he said, then you go in as your least fancy version of yourself. And if they want you, they want you. And if they don't, they don't. And I remember I, it was the best advice because the next day I went in and I think I dropped like some cuss words. I cried. I talked about why I love God and where that comes from and what I hope for our generation, which I still feel all those things. And I don't remember if I said I'm going to write a book this way. I don't think I said any of those things. I just told him I love God and I wanted to see a move in our generation. And I believe we could do that through all these means. And this generation was being lost. I was watching women just glaze over at, at Bible study because They didn't want to fill in the blank because they were sitting there facing massive debt and depression and, and they were filling in blanks at Bible study. I was like, there's got to be a better way. And I just, I shared my vision for how to reach the next generation of women. And, and I think that that's how I've just trusted that. I'm like, God, you'll sit, you'll shut me up and sit me down when you're, when you're done. And I'll be great with that. Cause I'll just go back to what I still do, which is local disciple making and we'll be good. I don't care. But 
in the meantime, I'm just going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to write with, with everything I've got. And some of the best stuff I have is the darkest stuff I have. Right. And, Mm. and so I just, I don't want to, I don't want to hold something back from my pride or ego that could help other people. And it always felt like that to me, like I would be holding back to self-protect or something. So we all have these negative messages that show up in our head. Obviously, you're not exempt from them. Um, Talk a little bit about why you wrote the book and give us an example, because you've been incredibly transparent, Jenny, but just of how that battle happens in your life, you know, the, Uh, the negative voices in your head. Well, I mean, every day, right? We all... I think this is the enemy's great ploy is to do it where nobody else can combat it in the dark. Um, and for me, it was a great ploy because I live pretty guarded. Like I said, I, I'm pretty quick to confess. I've got great community around me. Um, so big, obvious sins get brought to the light pretty fast. But, but my thought life for months and months and months, I accidentally let lies take such hold of me that I was borderline losing my faith. And you've heard my faith. It's very robust. (laughs) I really genuinely love God, but that was what the enemy came for. And for 18 months, I just, um, in the middle of the night, I'd wake up every night at three and I would question, I just, it started real. You were giving your life. You're missing your kids, you know, prom and all these fun things because you think this is true. Are you sure it's true? Like what if it just fades to black and you're, you're giving your whole life to this. And um, it just was little subtle thoughts that probably, I don't know, I would think everybody kind of sometimes in life have. And, um, but it was pretty consistent over every night over the course of months. And so I think what God used that season for, which got pretty dark eventually, you know, 18 months of not sleeping and waking up and it turned into a pretty paralyzing fear of death. Um, it turned into a lot, a loss of like passion for ministry. It turned into, um, constant fears, even in the day of like, this isn't true. And just, you know, and eventually I, I said it out loud, praise God and began the process of healing and, and retraining my mind. And, and the first thought I had when I said it out loud was, this is stupid. I actually mm. believe God. I mean, I, I believe him. I, I don't even like these aren't, I don't even believe the things I'm saying, you know? And then the next thing was I've been under attack. Like it hadn't occurred to me for 18 months that that was the enemy like attacking me. And so I think where I went after that, which that was a couple years ago now was just this wake up. Like all of a sudden it was just like, I could see the war in our generation and for our generation in our minds. And it was as if it was the biggest problem that we were facing. And I didn't hear anybody saying that. (laughs) Like, Mm. I mean, certainly there have been books about our mind lots. And in fact, I've read, (laughs) I feel like almost everyone um, from a science perspective and a Christian perspective. And, but I just, I wanted to go fight for, for people's minds. I just saw it constantly in my friends' lives. I've watched them struggle with the same things year after year after year, not day after day, not week after week, but year after year, fears, insecurities, anxieties, depression. And and certainly mental illness is not one of those things we can will our way out of, right? Like I'm not talking about chemical imbalance here. 
I'm just talking about the typical thought life of our days, which all of us tend to science thousand thoughts a day. So that's a lot of thoughts, right? Like that's tens of thousands of that's thoughts a lot. that are running through our minds. And, and yet I was sitting there not governing them, not thinking to myself, gosh, this could be a way that the enemy discourages me, attacks me. Uh, and, and yet scripture is really clear in second Corinthians, Paul talks about this is, uh, um, hold on. He says, um, I get where, where it says, take every thought captive in that same passage. Yeah. It says um, that we destroy strongholds, that we've been given divine weapons to destroy strongholds. So I was like, we have power over this. This isn't something that we're just reluctantly like subject to because we, our thoughts are what they are and we are victims to it and we, we can't control it. It's like, no, wait, we, we can change this. Like we can actually interrupt our thinking and redirect our thinking and set it on things that bring life and peace rather than the opposite. And, and it was, it was life changing to me. And it was one of those things where when I realized I had the power to interrupt, I mean, now, you know, I I was up last night a lot and there was a point that I was kind of bugged by it. And what areas in other countries, and if you're going to wake me up double, like I'm going to go like fight back and like, we're going to cause damage to to the kingdom. Cause I just, I, I feel like he took me out and down for so long and he, it just, it was, ah, it makes me mad. And so I see that in other people's eyes. I see that. Um, I, I see that in men's eyes too. You know, I, oh, yeah. um, I spoke recently about this to a pastor's conference actually. And I had men coming up to me afterwards and said, there's nothing different about what you're saying in my life. And I feel like when you talk about this, it's like a physical weight is lifting off my shoulders. Like I, I think what we've believed is that we don't have power over our thoughts, that we were just subject to them. Like we're subject to our feelings. You know, if I, if I told somebody to stop feeling sad, they'd be like, well, I, I, you know, I can't stop feeling sad. Um, that's, it's true. You know, that's, that's not really effective. But if I told you, you can take a thought captive, you can change a thought, you can interrupt a thought. You'd also be like, I don't think I can help that. And I'm like, well, Minus the chemical imbalance that might need medical attention. You can't like science. I did all the work with science. I'm like, scientifically, it backs up what scripture says, which is we are, we have authority over our thoughts that we can redirect our thinking that we don't have to stay stuck in these toxic spiraling patterns. You know, it's funny. I had one of those moments in, in your book, you say about, again, from the science that about 70% of the thoughts that a typical person has over the course of a day are negative, which is astonishing. And, uh, you know, I'm working on my book. I'm halfway, well, three quarters of the way through a second draft and I've got serious rewrites and I'm reading the comments of my editor who's amazing, but you know what editors do. They're like, okay, you got to rethink this and you got to change the tone. And I'm like, I was ready just to quit. You know, I'm like, okay, I do not have a book in me. This is not the right season. I'm there at 6am, got up early to work on it because I got a deadline. And I'm like, Uh, I'm just going to throw it out. And, you know, I didn't do that. I went to work, kind of named it. And then I'm like, actually, this isn't that hard to turn around at all. (laughs) It's, is that the battle? Like, is that what you're talking about? It's exactly that. I mean, that's actually one of my stories. It's exactly that. I actually open same thing. Um, I open a bunch of, and I, and the way I dug out that day was I called a friend. I mean, I think we've got to realize we don't have to spiral in isolation with, all of this negativity in our heads 
for eternity. Like this, that's what I hope. And yeah, one of my, I mean, one of my big stories is a huge story of (laughs) a Christian ministry leader, like doubting her faith to the point of near atheism. So yeah, it's pretty dramatic, but I, I tell that story because at the end of the day, we aren't, we aren't prone to see the cost. Like we aren't prone to see how tragic and desperate and urgent this problem is unless it's framed in such a situation as, you know, losing your faith. I mean, something that big, but it's that urgent. It's chipping away all those 18 months. I didn't see it as urgent. It was just random little thoughts passing through my head in the middle of the night. But, but I think that's what we've got to realize is he's shutting us down. Like this is strategic and intentional and he is shutting us down. And scripture does not use like sweet little language about it. Like, Oh, you know, uh, don't think about these things anymore. Although it will say those things it takes in second Corinthians war language of saying we are not battling flesh. Like we are, we are battling spirit and there are strongholds and we are giving you divine weapons to fight those. Like it is war language. And I think that's what, what I want us all to feel. I want us to fight back. I want us to not just think these thoughts are, are subtle, no big deal. Everybody has them. It's like, well, yes, everybody is having them fact, but 70% of our thoughts are negative. So yes, we're all bought into this very toxic, full of lies, negative thinking, but there is a different way. And it does not have to be that way for the rest of our lives. So I know there's a whole book on it, one that people should read, but um, naming it, sort of breaking the pattern, interrupting things, saying it out loud, calling a friend, any other things that leaders, because I don't think there's a single leader listening who doesn't struggle at some level with negative thoughts every day, whether you don't have what it takes or, um, you know, you should just throw in the towel or you're not really making a difference, whatever, whatever those thoughts are. Um, what are some other things that you think can really help people turn things around, Jenny? I mean, I think we've got to start paying attention to our inputs. Um, we are an input generation from the moment we wake up, we are getting more inputs than any generation that has ever had very uh, compelling. I mean, we're right. We're all, I mean, ultimately we're all talking about marketing like that. That's like yeah. the reach and all that. I mean, we're all savvy at saying strategic things. Marketers are good at that. So, so we are being sold things to believe from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. That's not news. What, what it might be news is that you have believed those things more than what is true about you. You have believed those things more than what is true of God. You have believed your purpose is, you know, the size of your following or the money that you make. You know, we, those are that's where it gets dangerous, right? It's a subtle thing that's happening over time. So the inputs matter because if we just go with with the flow and we don't ever interrupt with truth, what we know will happen over time is we will believe lies are truth, right? And that that's where I think it got dangerous for me in the middle of the night was when I started actually believing those things. Like at first it was just questions, but then it started to creep into, is this true? Like when I'm preaching, I I would start to question truth because it was starting to take root and hold. And I think that's where we get into trouble is we don't spot lies anymore. We don't Mm -hmm. call each other to the truth anymore. We are all sitting in the muck and mire of the world and Romans 8 says, set your mind on the flesh and it'll lead you to sin and death. Set your mind on the spirit, it leads you to life and peace. So we're all kind of set 
we've all set our minds on the world to where the things of the spirit sound crazy. The, the things of the spirit sound like, you know, woo, you know, whatever, like <laughs> yeah, too yeah. spiritual. And nobody like, nobody no, that down believes to, that. Right. It's like dumb that down to practical things. And I'm like, well, but the problem is like the things of the spirit aren't practical. Like the things of the spirit are, do require focus and they require presence with God and time with God and things that have become less and less important to us in our soundbite more is better, you know, productive society. So this is just, it's what is, it's not like we can change all of society, but we can know what's true and what's not. And that was true back then. You know, I mean, I was just talking to somebody this morning and they're like, I mean, my dad has just called me this morning. It's like, I'm just so worried about you. The world is so dark and da, 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 da. I was like, I don't know what news channel you've been watching, but, but, <laughs> but that's, that's not new. Like nothing is new. <laughs> There's nothing yeah. in our day that, that wasn't true of Roman times. Like, <laughs> in fact, it was worse. They had, you know, Christians hanging in the streets. Like, so, so nothing's that new or that extra troubling. The darkness is dark and the light is light. But we are bombarded with it in such a way, and maybe this is the part that's new, that the indoctrination series, you know, you're a leader, you probably have an indoctrination series email that goes out if you run an organization. That that series of emails that goes out that's indoctrinating you into something is happening moment by moment, hour by hour, and it is for the world. And it is, you know, and I just, I, I think that's what, as a Christian leader, every Christian leader is called to fight. It's, it's like, hey, there's another way. Like, hey, look over here. It's in the woods. It's in the wilderness. You're going to need a hatchet, but we can go. Like, come on, like, let's go. And and it's, that's what I feel constantly is like, there's a highway and it's leading to darkness. And it's, it's, it's our minds completely fixated on ourselves and our possessions and our identity and our production and how awesome we are. And, or there's a little like wilderness road that you can like go cut with me and, and it's worth cutting, but it's a lot more work. And you're going to have to go like put on some slosh boots and like get in the mud and fight for it because it's not a highway. Like it is not the easy way. It is not what is anybody's going to help you do. Like you're going to have to get, want this and fight for it. And I think that's, that's what I see happening in our generation. I have so many people that I lead that are like, I'm in, I'm putting on the boots. Give me the hatchet. Let's go. Like this highway has not worked for me. Like I am anxious. I am depressed. My relationships are broken. It's not working. So I'm willing to go on the wilderness road because this way isn't working. And I think that's the grace of God that we get to the end of ourselves, that we see it's empty, that it doesn't work. And, and we're willing to take the hatchet. And, and I mean, let's be, let's be clear what the hatchet is. It is real life accountability. It is waking up and spending time with Jesus, like actually doing that prayer by all that. So, I mean, that's the, that's the way. And you know, out, out of that, it's, it's, yeah, things do begin to change, but you've got to realize how much you're up against. Jenny, this has been so refreshing. Like, honestly, just really, really good, really rich, <laughs> really challenging. Um, anything else you want to share with us and then tell us where we can find you online? Well, I hope, I hope everybody listening feels encouraged. I hope they feel like, Hey, maybe this is simpler than I thought. Maybe, Maybe this isn't, maybe I'm not having to dig myself out of years of, because we all do this, right? I mean, that's what I hope everybody feels is like, y'all, we're all in the same lot. Like we're all in the same lot. We all are distracted by the same things. We're all um, tending to self-promote and do all the things that we all are in this lot. And so 
how do we fight it together? I, I hope that you leave going, okay, I need to, I need to make one phone call, call one friend and say, you know what? I want to fight this better. I want, I want my mind to be set on better things and I'm going to have to fight to do that. I'm going to have to get the hatchet out and go do it. So I hope you're encouraged to do it. And I hope, I hope he's, it feels delightful, right? I hope it doesn't feel like you get off and you're like, golly, I need to, I need to spend more time with God. I hope it feels like, you know what, maybe, maybe he's better than I think. Maybe, maybe this would be a better way. And because it is, I think that's how, I mean, God's so kind. He feeds our, he doesn't just feed like what's good for us. He feeds our desires too. And our desires are for life and peace and he knows how we get it. Hmm. Jenny. uh, Wow. So tell us uh, about the book, where they can find it and where they can find you online. Sure. So JennyAllen.com, J-E-N-N-I-E-A-L-L-E-N.com is where a hub for everything is. The book's there, everything else. Um, get Out of Your Head is the name of the book and you can get it anywhere. But I hope it, I hope it encourages you. I hope you feel fought for in it. Jenny, thank you so much. Thank you, Carrie. Really appreciated that conversation with Jenny Allen. And if you want to get transcripts or anything else, you can head on over to the show notes and you can get those at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 318 or just go into a little search bar and uh, search Jenny's name. So, uh, hey, super excited that next time we're back on the podcast, we've got Craig Grishel back and I am so pumped for that. Uh, We have just a really transparent conversation. He talks about having anxiety attacks for the first time about a year ago, what he's doing about that, how he's hired a leadership coach to make him more effective. Uh, It's really a performance coach. And then we talk about high demand leadership, how to avoid entitlement. And of course, if you subscribe, you get that all for free. Make sure we're going to share an excerpt of that, but make sure you do check out Red Letter Challenge Uh, before Easter. Head on over to redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry to get the best offers. And then also do subscribe to the Leaders in Living Rooms podcast with Sean Morgan. You can get that anywhere you get your podcast. And of course, we've got the link in the show notes as well. So uh, here's an excerpt from the conversation coming up with Craig Grishel. So like I walk to the kitchen to prepare breakfast and do, and then I go back to the bathroom and I walk to the kitchen to get some stuff. I, I, I literally limit my trips across the house, which oh, wow. just sounds like nothing, but I, I'm making the distance between the um, getting out of bed to where I actually start reading scripture and preparing my heart. I'm, I'm shortening that distance. So it's, it's ridiculous, crazy things like that, even to the place where people call me borderline crazy. You know, mm-hmm. in my office, it's, I don't think I've been out to a lunch in a restaurant on a work day in, I've got my team in here who could probably verify it. If, if it happens once a year, that would be probably more than it happens. It's just lunches in my office is brought into me. I don't think about what it is. If there's a meeting, it's in my office. So there's no travel time back and forth. So that's next week on the podcast. So excited for that. And it's real. It's real. And uh, hey, you ever notice it's really hard to get good people? Like maybe you're trying to hire, uh, build a team. There are so many reasons why it's so difficult. Like there's a talent war going on. The internet, right? People have options. They know they have options. The gig economy is growing. Uh, A lot of young leaders, rather than working for you, will just start their own thing. And what's behind all that? How do you stay competitive as an organization? Well, I really believe the future workplace is a flexible workplace. And this week, my high impact workplace course 
reopened for new registrations. In fact, for a limited time, you'll get it at the best price ever. Price is going to go up, but you can jump in. And we've already run several hundred liters through this, and the feedback has been incredible. Uh, we are so excited to open this up to new enrollment. And uh, what is the high-impact workplace? Well, it's uh, basically training on what's changing in the workplace, some very practical resources you can use to increase employee engagement and team engagement. Um, and about 70% of employees are disengaged at work. So if you sign up for the High Impact Workplace, here's what you get. You'll get the skills you need to attract and keep high capacity leaders who would otherwise start their own businesses. You will learn the currency that motivates young leaders, and that is a growing part of the workforce these days. Uh, you'll figure out, because I've got real tangible guides on how to navigate flexible work arrangements when people want to work from home, and how do you do that in a way that honors the entire team. Uh, I will give you a list of the five questions every great manager asks their team, how to create a workplace environment that multiple generations can thrive in, and uh, figure out how to keep your company or organization relevant to the next generation of leaders. So you can head on over to thehighimpactworkplace.com now. And uh, this week, you'll get the best rates ever. I'm so excited the course is back open. I love doing online courses. It's my best content, and I hope this one helps you. So check out thehighimpactworkplace.com. And thanks so much for listening today, guys. I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.